there's a lot of points at which you need to kind of say, okay, crossing this imaginary line leads to conflict and behaviors that we don't want to see. We need to keep them on the other side of that line. Hello, you cat and dog people. This is It's Training Cats and Dogs, the show for people with both cats and dogs who want peace in their home and peace between their animals. I'm Naomi Rotenberg, your source of practical strategies for keeping everyone in your multi-species household safe and sane. And today's another installment of What the Hell Is, with my favorite co-host, aka Carrie, who knows nothing relevant about the subject matter, but she's my cousin. And we've been talking about anything and everything for basically our whole lives, so we're gonna talk cats and dogs. This episode centered around my actual process of helping animals learn to coexist. We touched on the importance of our animals feeling safe before any progress towards coexistence can be made, the two types of behaviors we need to teach both our cats and dogs for all of this to work, and the different possible definitions of coexistence that exist along the path. All right, without further ado, here's my conversation with Carrie. Hey, Care. So as a follow-up of our last discussion, we touched on a few ideas and you magically came up with two new episodes for me. So we're going to do that. Oh my God, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) So the first thing we're going to talk about is how the heck do we get the animals from point A of not being able to even like see each other without having conniptions to being able to live in the same house. Yes. Yes. This is, as far as I know, like the whole essence of what you do, but also let's zoom in, I guess. (laughs) Right. Here, all the things. Yeah. So does everything at once. Yes. (laughs) So the first thing I want to say is that I do have a general structure that I tend to walk people through. Mm -hmm. But everything is also customized based on the data that I'm seeing from the animals and what people need in their particular situation. So mm-hmm. I just want to throw that out as a caveat that whoever is listening is like, oh, here are all the steps and I need to do them exactly this way. And it's like, uh, no, you, it's best if you're if you have an advisor to kind of walk you through and and figure out what aspects you need to kind of harp on more and which you can kind of say, I don't need this very much. Coincidentally, that is also how human therapy works. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, uh, what what do they say? You know, like, uh, do not try this at home. Do not collect $200 or whatever. (laughs) But yeah, so the main framework that I like to think about goes as follows. Number one is assess where you are right now and figure out kind of what each animal does to the other that triggers the other one. Um, So you're just kind of like observing body language and you're trying to see what the heck is the situation currently. And then before you even do any training or anything like that, You want to come up with what's called a management plan, which is basically how can you either change aspects of the physical environment or the animal's daily routines or some basic skills that they know to be able to just reduce whatever conflicts are already happening. So, you know, for some people it might be okay, they were seeing each other and now we need to have them not see each other at all. Start from like 
square one, absolutely nothing, <laughs> and then make a plan from there. But no progress can be made if they're constantly having negative interactions with each other all yep. the time. So that's the first step. What questions do you have about that? Yeah, uh, I just had a, I have a thought and a question. Yeah. Um, the, the first thought is this sounds at, at first like how you do human exposure therapy. Mm -hmm. You, it doesn't succeed if you're constantly going all the way back to panic. Mm -hmm. You have to build it in and have successes. Mm -hmm. So like that might be interesting to think about and explore down the line. But my question was, you said skills they already have. And that sounded really cool because I'm like, whoa, like, how are they talking to each other? What do they already know about how to have, um, like, assertive communication skills? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So some of the skills are literally just things that any animal is going to do, and we just have to put them, make them stronger under certain situations. So, for example, like, any animal, when they look at something, whether it's a distraction or something that's slightly scary, is going to eventually look away. <laughs> from that thing, right? This makes sense. I've heard this. <laughs> right. Eventually. So one of the skills that you can build up is fluency in how quickly they're able to look away from the thing, mm -hmm. what situations they are able to look and then look away very quickly. Uh -huh. So basically you're just like taking that skill of like a behavior they're already going to do in many different situations, yeah. and then you just strengthen it. Also things like, come over to me. <laughs> Don't go yeah. over there, come over here. That's what I meant by skills they already have, but you just want to kind of be able to use them in a potentially stressful situation. Okay, okay, yeah. So that's probably part of why you're like, do not try this at home. You have to, you have to know what your animal skills are. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's not as visible to the untrained eye, it sounds like. For sure. Yeah. And also trying to assess like when those skills are ready to be used in situations where the other animal is present. Yeah. So that's going to be like, I guess the next episode is what green flags are we looking for for, you know, tease for next episode. But how do you know that you are ready to, to actually use these skills in real life? Oh my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But the important thing that you just touched on is the ability to observe your animals and know what you're looking for. Yeah. Right. So yeah. understanding body language is a really big thing. And in cat dog households, you have two species that you need to learn about and what signals potential stress in one species can often also signal stress in the other, or it could signal something completely different. So my favorite, <laughs> my favorite example is a cat's tail, what many untrained eyes would say looks kind of like a dog's tail wagging. It's not yeah. wagging. And so people have a lot of misconceptions about tails mm -hmm. in general. Number one, a dog's tail when it is wagging is not always happy. And if they look at a cat and they yeah. say, oh, their tail is wagging, mm -hmm. then they immediately assume that cat's tail means the same thing as a dog's tail, which they are already wrong about. <laughs> right so <laughs> yeah. um it actually tends to mean that the cat is aroused or stressed in some way they're especially if it's like a little bit twitchy and then because those things can mean different things in those species right a uh, wagging tail in a dog can mean the dog is happy and it very rarely means a cat is happy mm -hmm. then when the dog looks at the cat and sees the wagging there might be a miscommunication 
and vice versa. When the cat looks at the dog, if he's wagging, that might be miscommunication as well. So <laughs> there's a lot, there's a triangulation of issues that uh, we all kind of need to figure out. Uh-huh. I have two questions. I'm backing up, but I, I just I have to know. Um, when you're talking about a human being and you use the word aroused, it... I know, it's so funny, right? La la la, sex. <laughs> if you're... If mm-hmm. you're in a professional context or if you're in like like a medical context, it means like alert. Yeah, boy. And we know what it means when you're in a not <laughs> professional context. So like Yes. I am using it in a more medical way. I need we there needs to be some That's kind right. of better word, it's but hard. the reason I use aroused versus like stressed or happy is because A, those are labels that are like layered on top of what is the physical like level of arousal that you can actually measure in beings heart rate up all that fun stuff but also because like there are situations in which it doesn't matter whether it's positively valenced arousal or negatively valenced arousal it's the same the same behaviors look the same there's stuff going on right you don't it doesn't matter if the the dog is like super duper happy to see the cat they're still gonna lunge and be way in their face versus if they're like go away Um, there are some more subtle differences in what that looks like but for the purposes of what we're talking about it's just not calm in either direction right (laughs) so Uh bonus for people who can come up with a better word that's not as sexual i thought i was just asking a salacious question but that's actually really (laughs) interesting like operationally it doesn't matter okay cool awesome back to the music as i see it you're you're helping the dogs and cats go from square zero to square one i get that that's based on what is what does the animal already have Mm -hmm. what's natural to them what's what's just gonna happen and and okay so how do you how do you enhance that okay so once you've come up with a routine and a physical management system that we alluded to before where the frequency and intensity of whatever conflict you were seeing at the beginning are as close to zero as possible then what you're fo- you switch to focusing on is number one building up the skills like we talked about before that you could use to interrupt any future interactions that are going poorly and you also want to build up the skills that you can use to further interactions to make sure that they go well. So you're basically <laughs> you're basically teaching interrupter behaviors and putting those on a cue of saying like, okay, stop doing what you're doing, come do this other thing because that thing you were doing before, it's it's not going to end well. Okay. Right? And then the other side is here are some things you can do when that other animal's around that are going to okay. bring out potentially appropriate behaviors from each of those animals. Okay. And I can break those down a little bit more, yeah, but yeah. I feel like I saw a question in your head, in your face, head face. My head face. <laughs> <laughs> that was kind of a, I want to make sure that I understand face. It was, yeah. it was like, okay, yeah. so, so you have to have them in a state where they're chill before you can add anything. So you kind of have to stop before you can go. And I might, I was thinking like, okay, how do you get to the stop, right? Uh-huh. So the first part, which we talked about before, is like trying to either keep them separated or 
address routine changes. You're not teaching them how to chill, right? You're just like putting them in a chill space and they do it themselves, right? Am I getting it? You mean like in backing up like for that first step of like minimizing conflict? Yeah. Yeah, so you find a point at which their interactions that they can handle them without going ape. Mm-hmm. So for some animals, it might be they don't see each other at all because just the visual of the other animal makes them go over what we call over threshold, which is they're not in their brain anymore. <laughs> they are stressed or overexcited mm-hmm. and they're just displaying a lot of behaviors that are inappropriate. For other animals, it might be like, okay, we can all chill in the living room fine together as long as no one's really moving. Okay. Right. (laughs) Like if the cat is snoozing up on the cat tree and the dog is watching TV on the couch with the human, everything is fine. But if the cat decides they need to come down from the cat tree and go get a drink of water or something, then the dog is like, (laughs) and like a chase might ensue. Right. And others who are even further into, you know, towards coexistence might Mm -hmm. have a situation where the cat and dog are able to hang out near each other and they're maybe trying to play with each other but they don't really know how and so like the cat might be doing some like play batting with their paws and the dog might take that as wee we're gonna wrestle and then everything goes to shit Uh right so like (laughs) there's there's a lot of points at which you need to kind of say okay crossing this imaginary line leads to conflict and behaviors that we don't want to see we need to keep them on the other side of that line Uh uh-huh Yep. And here we need to come up with a plan for how to do that. And that's like a huge part of yeah. the, that's the beginning of any of my programs yeah. is like each plan is has to be very specific to the human's lifestyle, their house, yeah. the animals, like everything yeah. is very, very yeah. specific. Yeah. yeah. Does that clear that up? Yeah, totally. Uh, at least I think so. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So my curiosity now is I really want to hear more about what skills do you teach? Like, Howdy. Okay, so there's an invisible line in the room between like we can sit still, but we can't. <laughs> we can't get up and move around. So there's it's not like there's a baby gate. So what what do you do with that? Well, there might be a baby gate. Okay. Okay. So part that's part of the physical management that I was talking yeah. about is like we we typically do set up some barriers. So like if the conflict tends to be okay, we hang out in the living room every night, but then when we all get up to go to bed, the cat jumps down and everything goes to shit, then we say, okay, we're gonna, maybe there's gonna be a barrier around the cat tree so that when the cat jumps down and they go on one side of the barrier, if the if the dog does go up to chase, they can't actually get to the cat, right? For example. Yeah, okay. Right? Or you could say, okay, well, the dog, we're gonna have the dog on a leash (laughs) every night and they're gonna rest and we're just gonna have it, right? Things like, you know, or a combination or, you know, whatever. Those are some physical management options that we could have. Okay, I would would never think of that. But anyway, um, that's awesome. That's why they pay me the big bucks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just imagining the kind of gate you would need like around a whole cat tree. Like that's an intense gate but any, anyway oh i will post i'll post in the in the show notes uh some links i have a whole resource a free resource about barriers and gates okay. and how to okay. use them with dogs okay. and cats so i will post that in the okay in the description cool okay but what happens if you get to the point where whatever whatever physical management system you've come up with is, is awesome it's working consistently there's there's probably a point where you're like okay we can take the leash off 
Mm-hmm. But then you probably still need some sort of interpersonal cue to be like, no. Yeah. Yeah. So you're never going to, and this again is for next time of like, what are the green, the green flags, but you're never going to take away layers of physical management or um, routine adjustments until the animals can demonstrate that they can handle the situation without using those things. So for example, if the dog is on a leash and the last five nights they have been the cat has jumped down and the dog has either not gotten up or has gotten up but the leash is dragging or there's no tension on it and they are very easily able to come away from the cat Mm -hmm. right then you would know okay we might be able to not use that leash anymore but if there's ever tension on the leash then that leash is being used as as a deterrent for behavior that we don't want to see and so there's no you know it's probable that if you do that again, the dog would rush forward too quickly. And so I like to see that the animals are offering the behaviors that are appropriate. The physical management becomes superfluous. It's there, but it's not needed. So so going back to like, what skills do we actually Mm -hmm. teach? Um, Number one is kind of the interrupter cues that I was talking about before, right? So usually that is a quick like, yo, come over to me. Mm-hmm, okay. Which is call a whiplash, turn, recall. Shout out to Leslie McDevitt, mm-hmm. who is a awesome trainer. I'll link to her stuff in the show notes as well. Go Leslie. Woo. Yo, yo, go Leslie. Also, I did an episode with her. I'll link to that oh, too. Hey, and so usually that's a whip, some kind of whiplash, turn, recall to come to me. Mm-hmm. The other one is super easy find it which is literally like you talk you chuck food on the ground and the animal turns away from whatever they're doing and goes to to eat the food Uh and look eating is a behavior Uh that is easier in certain situations than others Uh right so if you're super anxious or overly excited about something you are more unlikely to eat than if you were just chilling on the couch watching netflix (laughs) so yes so eating in response to the cue find it is something you can train to become stronger okay oh okay in the face of certain situations Uh right so we have whiplash turn we have find it we have what a lot of people call place which is go over to a spot and stay there until i tell you you can get up okay and that's usually like a safety mechanism Mm -hmm. and it is fairly hard to teach to the level that it is necessary mm-hmm. in situations, but it's often useful to at least like separate the animals for a minute. Mm-hmm. But it is an exceedingly useful cue if you can get it to the point that it is okay. needed for true safety of like, okay. you're going there and you're staying there so I can like deal with the crap that's happening over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see why that's a high level skill. The, the dog really needs to be able to put a lot down for a little reward. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I teach all of these things to both the dogs and the cats, oh, which is essential. So a lot of trainers who take on dog and cat cases focus almost exclusively on the dog. And in a lot of situations that can take you a pretty far away. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of the wonderful clients that I get are actually very good dog trainers. Like they've mm-hmm. kind of de- de- divin, dovin. They've gone into oh, the dog tra- dived they have have dived (laughs) right they have dived into the world of dog training 
and they've worked with their dog, they've got some good skills under their belt with their dog, but they're not seeing progress because it's a two-way street, right? We talked about this from the beginning of like what behaviors from each of the animals are triggering the other one. It's rarely ever the cat is always the victim or like Mm. you can't help the cat in some way to either become more confident so they don't get as scared and run away and trigger the dog more or you can help them move around the space in a way that doesn't trigger the dog so that you can actually move forward and make progress rather than just being like well I don't know what the cat's gonna do so let's just like make the dog leave them alone no matter what like that doesn't really makes sense to me. So that's not how I work. I like to do think of this as a relationship where everyone needs some skills to be built. We must empower the kitty. Empower the kitty. And look, also, I, I think I need to do an episode about this, but it's like, I like to think of it also as like, who's the asshole, right? It's not always the dog. <laughs> cool. It's more often the dog, like just, you know, they tend to be chasier or kind of like in the cat's face and the cat's like, hey, but sometimes the cat is just completely inappropriate and the dog just has no idea what to do. Mm -hmm. And you work with a lot of awesome humans, but I'm also like, how often is it the human? (laughs) The wonderful thing is that it's a human dog cat triad is always everyone's behavior affects everyone else. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. But the magic of it all is that whether I've done my marketing really, really well, or I, or it's just the nature of the types of cases that I take on is that so many of my clients are like willing to build on whatever skills they need to, mm-hmm. which is awesome. It's not just like, I know this is going to be a quick fix. Let's like make it happen. It's like, okay, I am equally dedicated to both of my species and I want to make this work. And anyway, go human. Cool. Trying matters. That's awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So going back Mm -hmm. again. Mm -hmm. So those are the basic positive interrupters that we talked about, right? Like stop doing that. Either come to me, go over there, or just like (laughs) go eat some food over there or whatever, right? Uh Okay. Then on the other side are the behaviors that kind of mimic appropriate social interactions between species. So what we talked about before is like looking at something and then looking away super casually. That indicates, that's kind of like the the diametrical opposite of awkward stare of like, <laughs> I'm about to either kill you or be killed, right? Like that, <laughs> right? If you teach an animal to disengage their gaze, mm-hmm. you are kind of synthetically telling the other animal that they're not a threat. Whoa, okay. And so you can kind of orchestrate these interactions, which is really cool. So you can like cue, look away. Whoa. And the other animal's like, oh, okay, they used to be scary and starey, but now they're like chilling and sniffing over here. So like, I can trust that a little bit more. Okay. Okay, yeah, so number one is training disengagement. Mm-hmm. Another is training offered relaxation. So basically, this is a whole thing where you bring out a mat. So the mat is not there all the time, right? But like the presentation of this mat indicates to the animal that like if they go and lay down on this, then food will appear and they can just relax on there. They don't have to. So that's the difference between go to place, which was before. It's like you have to go there and stay there until I tell you. Okay. Because this is a matter of safety. Versus, like, 
if you're feeling comfortable enough to relax, here's a quick little hint. There is a place. <laughs> here's a place that you could chillax, we like, right? We like this mat. That's the mat of happiness. Exactly. And they do end up having like some really positive feelings about when the mat comes out. Mm-hmm. And so because you are building up the skill of relaxing when that mat is available, mm-hmm. And then you are doing that in the face of lots of different types of distractions. I have a whole protocol mm-hmm. about this that I can also link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But it's literally like, can your animal relax if you are like throwing a stuffed animal across the room? Or like oh, wow. making <laughs> or like squeak, like jumping around and doing jumping jacks, or like pretending to pet a fake cat on the top of the tree, or like all of these different things. Will wow. they are they gonna just chill there and like just watch you acting like a fool? If so, then they are, have indicated that they might be able to <laughs> to offer that same relaxation in a similar yeah. situation wow. That's with like the other animals. So much. Okay. Mm-hmm. And also, like, can you eat around this animal is another one we talked about. Uh, the And those are just, like, different variations on those two skills of, like, can you move calmly around a space? Mm-hmm. Like, walk from station to station? <laughs> yeah. Can you look at something and look away? And can you, like, decide to relax in that situation? Okay. So all of those things can be combined in order to, like, like little puppets <laughs> kind of say, okay, look. You can see each other. Now the dog is going to go over here and sniff something. And the cat is going to go up on the tree and then relax on their mat. And like, oh my God, that looks like a normal social coexisting pair of animals. Yeah. And then after you do that for a while, then they start to offer those behaviors themselves. I feel like I'm learning something about like, what is coexistence? Like, what does it look like when it goes well? Mm-hmm. It's easier. To, Tell me more. Yeah, it's easier to imagine like if somebody's biting or barking uncontrollably, or somebody else is running away, or I don't. I, I maybe I don't know all the ways that it can go wrong, but how do animals enjoy each other is like this really interesting question that comes up. Mm-hmm. It feels like we just got to like a, a parallel, like you're cool, I'm chill place. Mm-hmm. Like, but now all of a sudden, I feel like there's this space open for what? Can, can we like play? Like, can we actively enjoy? Each other? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a really interesting question that I think is, it kind of mirrors how I have the program set up where there's kind of these milestones along the journey, right? Like Mm -hmm. you might start where they can't even look at each other. Everything goes to shit, right? And then your first goal is to like, can we be in the same room doing that? No one's really moving thing. There's not overt triggering behaviors, but like we can exist together in the same room Mm -hmm. for a lot of people they can't even imagine that Mm -hmm. right and then once they get there they're like oh maybe there could be more and maybe there maybe there doesn't need to be more yeah right that that could be good enough right like that makes sense everyone lives their own lives in the evenings we all hang out in the living room and then we take the cat up to the bedroom and the dog goes to sleep in the crater whatever yeah many people will say i'm happy with that then you could say all right this is what i tend to label as like the more common definition of coexistence is can the animals exist in their own world (laughs) Uh and be around each other without an excess of conflict. And if there is conflict, it is relatively low key and they can communicate effectively through it. So it doesn't escalate unnecessarily. They can resolve without human intervention. Okay. Exactly. Yes. The without human intervention. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. like, for example, you can have animals who coexist where the cat 
might be laying across the stairs and staring at the dog. And the dog is like, I would, please, I would like to come up the stairs. And the cat's like, "Mm, no, (laughs) right? (laughs) And right, so that is a conflict. It's not a knockdown drag out fight, but it's a conflict. Okay, then if they didn't know how to coexist, then it might become an escalation where the dog might then like rush at the cat. The cat might then feel the need to run away. And then there's a big chase, right? Right. Or if they know how to be appropriate, mm-hmm. right? What could happen is the dog might come up and it might sit there and look and then it might look away and the cat might stare at the dog for a little bit and then maybe sit up <laughs> so that they're not like totally blocking the thing. And then the dog might kind of arc around the cat mm-hmm. and then the cat would either stay and go back and relax or leave, right? They're not playing. They're not even having like, they're having a civil conversation. <laughs> they're not friendly, right? <laughs> it's just like acquaintances, like roommates who met on Craigslist and you're not worried that they're going to ax you, right? <laughs> yeah. Like you're not worried for your own safety. You can do whatever you need to do and discuss utility bills amicably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. I would say that's coexistence. Yeah. Is it the ultimate level of coexistence? Like, no, you'd like to be friends and chill and, you know, not have to be kind of worried about being yourself totally. But in general, mm-hmm. that's a pretty good, I would say, like second tier. Yeah. And then there's the animals that really do like enjoy spending time together. And that doesn't necessarily mean playing. Mm-hmm. It just means like being in each other's presence. Mm-hmm. So They might seek out being in the same space and then absolutely ignore each other. (laughs) Right. So this is, this is really funny. So a lot of people will find that like their animals, because they do want to be near the humans Mm -hmm. are now starting to seek out being in the same space as each other because the human is there. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the human is kind of like the social lubricant Mm-hmm. and the other the animals are just like cool like we're having a little we're having a netflix and, and hangout kind of pizza party yeah. situation but like one of i'm on my phone and you're talking to the human or whatever right yeah okay and for most of us like that's the apex of social interaction at this point like <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm kind of thinking about like when I've had Craigslist roommates and I know they don't want to ask me but like being able to be like in the kitchen or something like sub and then I go back to the bedroom. Like, that's fine. It doesn't always have to be more than that. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And the human is probably, maybe, I, maybe I'm rooting for the human, that the human is like getting to enjoy the cat and the dog separately, but different versions of ideal can all be ideal, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing is, is everyone safe? Obviously, yeah. like, no one is ever, you can't predict behavior 100%. They might act out of nowhere. <laughs> Right. You know, someone might have a psychotic break and, (laughs) but it's highly unlikely in someone who has not shown any violence in their past, has not had any recent traumatic experiences, right? Like all, you know, whatever. Right. We hope so. I mean, you're the human therapist, so I'm not going to step in your lane, but the important thing is right. Like making sure that everyone is as safe as possible. Number one, Mm -hmm. right. No one is feeling like they're in in, in, any imminent danger. Then the next thing is like, okay, is anyone feeling the other one is unnecessarily stressing me out because they're dicks. Yeah. Right. Like you don't want to live with an asshole. Yeah. Right. You at least want to live with someone who's like semi-respectful. Yep. So we work on that. We work on showing the other animal that like I am capable of 
not being a total Looney Tune around you. Mm -hmm. And often that takes the form of those choreographed kind of dances around each other. Mm -hmm. And then once they realize, oh, the other one can be here without awkwardly staring at me. I'm just thinking like, hey, Arnold, like the guy, <laughs> the guy who's like, you know, yeah, who smack, Helga smacks him all the time. Like he doesn't have another behavioral, like a behavior in his repertoire to like show that he's interested in her, right? Uh, okay. Mm-hmm. So if we, if we, okay, I'm dating myself. Maybe I should like put, I'll put like a, for people who don't know what I'm talking about, because <laughs> there are people who are listening to this who are like, what is Hey Arnold? And that makes me feel very sad. I will put a, a YouTube clip of okay. of Helga smacking whatever his name is in the face. Because he always does the same thing to try to hang out. He always does the same thing. Right. Like, I'm interested and it's not appealing to her. Okay, cool. Right, right, yeah. exactly. So yeah, so we want to introduce alternative behaviors that are more appropriate that will likely then facilitate whatever more natural pro-social behaviors those animals might offer each other later. Okay. Um, and that final hurdle of like whether they're going to actually be friends, I very rarely do anything mm-hmm. or even have to like tell the humans to do much in order to make that happen. If it's going to happen then once the animals have kind of rehearsed a bunch of appropriate interactions on their own, then they sometimes Mm -hmm. will kind of just like start playing around with things. And because there is that trust there now, um, they are feeling a little bit more able to expand on their behavioral repertoire and see like, oh, well, what will happen if I throw out a play bow from yeah. the dog? Yeah. And usually if that, if that happens, the cat would be like, fuck, and run. <laughs> <laughs> but because the cat has seen that the dog is relatively trustworthy, they're like, oh, that dog did a weird thing. I either am going to stay and just look at him and then walk away calmly because mm-hmm. I don't like that. Or he's like, oh, maybe I'll try a weird thing. <laughs> right? Wow. Yeah, wow, it's so it's so simple but so so juicy. Like as soon as we have safety, we can build stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the reason that I have my programs set up the way I do. So I have them in phase 1 and phase 2, which is literally phase 1 is that whole management discussion that we talked about. Let's get it to a point where everyone feels safe. Yep. Including the human. So the human feels like everyone has the skills that they need in to, to interrupt anything that goes wrong, mm-hmm. right? The animals are to a point where they're not constantly triggering each other. Mm-hmm. And they have enough understanding of what to do in certain situations so that we then go to phase two, which is these what I call setups, which is like the choreographed dance. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have both, but it's, it is very clearly a delineation between the two. Like you don't need to do phase two in order to live in a house where everyone is not feeling like they're going to get murdered all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Everyone has to be best friends. I, I love it. Exactly. Too. Yeah. So what was the thing that you were like, I did not know that before today? Are you going to make me do a recap? <laughs> no, just one thing. <laughs> I have homework. <laughs> no homework. No, just one thing where you're like the thing. Oh. The thing that I didn't. I, the thing that I didn't know. Mm. Is it okay to say like the whole process? Yeah. So like the whole point of this episode. Lay it out. It sounds so simple, but we don't treat it that way. Like first you stop. First you make it safe. First you learn how to do that and what goes into that, and then you can say, "Here's some things to try." Mm-hmm. Here's some things to try, and there's a there is a specific 
order to things, right? Depending on the information that we got from the beginning, right? Like what tends to trigger the other animals that tells you what kinds of setups you need to do later. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's an art to that as well as a science. But like I said, you don't need to go through 27 different types of setups if the animals are mostly having a conflict in like two or three places, mm -hmm. for example. Mm -hmm. it's, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about in terms of we don't use this for humans, but we totally 100% should. Humans are animals. Like we keep acting like that's not true, but it's true. Truth. We are not special. Yeah. And the, the ways that we build safety, the ways that we, we realize safety is there is a lack of something before it's a presence of something. Hmm. Can you expound upon that, please? Maybe. Once there's not violence of one form or another, there's room for experimentation or the, the, the human psychology term is like play space. Maybe, maybe that's mm -hmm. the same for animals too, to emerge. And, and we, we try out things. Like we, we move tentatively and we see like, or we experiment. What, what happens if I throw out a play bow? Throw out a play bow is what you said. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and then something can kind of grow itself. Mm -hmm. It feels like the intervention is leaned on the, the stoppage more than the goage. Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is yes, because the goage can't happen without the stoppage. Mm -hmm. But I think the true magic comes from that scaffolding of the goage behaviors. Mm -hmm. Because if you are feeling unsafe in your own home, which is what we're dealing with here, mm -hmm. right? Like everyone living in the same space, but you're, you're not feeling safe around the other beings, then your behavior might be so suppressed, even after there is actually no imminent threat to you, that like you might not know what to try, right? You might not oh. feel like previously everything I've tried, you know, if I moved one paw out of the way, the dog screamed at me. Yeah. Right. And so the cat's like, I'm not coming out from under the bed. Yeah. Even though I haven't seen, even though I haven't seen the dog in, in a month, I'm not coming out. Or like, as soon as that door opens, I'm booking it. And so you need to yeah. scaffold some appropriate behaviors and make those really strong and worthwhile for the animal to do so that they have the best chance of making a choice that will lead to a positive interaction uh, okay. so that they can then gain confidence. I feel a big penny dropping. I, I think I, I think I wasn't totally getting that, which is my job, but, <laughs> but <laughs> um, no, no job. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, my job is to not know things, but yeah, that makes sense. Like, like in the human world, you need somebody be, to be like, Hey, like let's all go bowling, get some drinks. Right. And like, right. there needs to be an opportunity and, and I, and I get it. Like every, everybody can give up and mm -hmm. stop trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it does also depend on the person's or animal's temperament, resilience, optimism in life, right? Like all of those things that kind of yeah, Whoa. Mm -hmm. are not directly related to the incidents themselves, mm -hmm. right? If you have an animal who's like, someone looks at me wrong and I'm crying in a corner for the next two weeks, <laughs> that's going to be a different process for that animal to gain that, kinds of, that kind of confidence yeah. than another animal who's just like, well, I literally got eaten by that dog, Yeah. but I'm okay as long as that dog doesn't come within three feet of me, right? So, you know, it's, it's a totally individualized process in terms of gaining those skills in order to be able to live together peacefully. Yeah, okay. Bam! Bam!
Done. All right. Next time on the What the Hell Is series, we are going to talk about those green flags. Because now Mm -hmm. that we've talked about the scaffolding, Mm -hmm. we alluded to a lot of them in here. But really kind of like what can you look at from each of the animals to indicate that maybe they are feeling safe. Or maybe they are like, yes, I'm willing to experiment behaviorally and all that fun stuff. Cool. You ready to do that? It's going to be fun. Ah, my mind is so blown. I want to learn more stuff. Great. Yeah. All right, listeners. See you next time. Thanks so much for listening. If this episode made you think or laugh or gave you some ideas of things to do with your own cat and dog, please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and leave a five-star review because it really goes a long way to help other cat and dog people find the show. I am so appreciative of everyone who takes a minute to write something, like Jennifer, who said, I found this podcast when we adopted our spicy cat. Naomi's podcast has been an amazing resource for us through this process, and we are so grateful. We also joined her coexistence club and follow her on instagram and love all the information and tips we gain from her oh it's so hard to find quality resources regarding cat dog behavior together especially when the cat is the aggressor and naomi's podcast is so validating and helpful i recommend her to everyone i know who is struggling with their cat dog home thank you so much for listening to the show jennifer and being a part of the club you are the best also i'll be live on instagram on thursday at noon this thursday at noon eastern to answer your questions about this episode and to dive a little deeper into what it means for an animal to feel safe. So make sure to follow me at Praiseworthy Pets and check out my stories for a link to that live so you'll get a reminder that it's happening. And if you want to support the podcast so I can keep bringing the cat and dog entertainment and education, please consider becoming a member of the podcast supporters area of the Cat and Dog Coexistence Club. You'll get access to live Q&As with me, a podcast-specific discussion space, and even invites to club masterclasses for more deep dives into training and behavior concepts. You can go to praiseworthypets.com support the podcast to get more info, and the link to that page is also in the episode description. I cannot wait to see you in the community. And that is all for this episode, you wonderful cat and dog people. I will see you next week for more. It's Training Cats and Dogs. Music